Let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to every person listening to my voice, that you would point us to Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. One of the things about being a church minister is that when people ask you what you do for the first time, you can get all sorts of different reactions. Sometimes, maybe you're on holidays, it can be a wee bit of a, a conversation killer as you're sitting over dinner and sometimes you get talking to the people at the table beside you and they say, what do you do? And, and, and so sometimes, quite honestly, I don't want to get into it, you know, because people will sometimes go quiet. Sometimes they'll, they'll want to get into some big theological debate with you about suffering or evolution. And sometimes people will just totally change their personality. You know, like they were effing and blinding two minutes before that and suddenly they become like offspring of Mother Teresa. Or, or, or maybe they, they uh, just get weird with you. And so sometimes, quite honestly, in certain settings, maybe social settings or in holidays, I'll make stuff up. I've got to be honest. I'll tell them I'm in marketing, which in some ways is technically true, and it's what I used to do. Sometimes I'll tell them I'm a rocket scientist or a male model, all of which, of course, are entirely plausible. One uh, Anglican minister in England called J. John was talking about the same situation with him. He was at Heathrow Airport. He got onto the plane. He sat down beside somebody and uh, hit the usual conversation. Are you going on holidays? Uh, and he asked the lady, and then she said to him, what do you do? And this was Jay John's answer. He said, well, I work for a global enterprise. We've got outlets in nearly every country in the world. We've got hospitals, hospices, homeless shelters. We do justice work, reconciliation work. We've got orphanages. We do marriage guidance counselling. Basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behaviour alteration. And the lady said, wow, what's the organisation called that you work for? And he said, madam, it's called the church. For 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has been making a difference in every place and in every generation. Of course, the church has many faults, has had many failures over the years. It hasn't always got it right. But overall, there's no uh, organization in the world, no government agency, no business or charity which has made more of a difference in the lives of men, women and children for so long than the church of Jesus Christ. We have a, a little boy, Elijah, who is going to turn eight in September. And every year on his birthday, I find myself going back to the old photographs of the day he was born in the Coombe Hospital in Dublin. And those moments just after he was born, when I was holding this little treasure in my arms, and I love to reflect on his birth. And then I start to think just about how much he's grown and developed and changed. And, and I just, I love celebrating all that has happened in his, his short life so far. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And, uh, and we're celebrating the birth of the church today. And so what I want to do is to go back to that first day when the church was born. That day in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, when God birthed something stunning, something beautiful, something incredible. Something that Jesus is willing to call not just his child but his bride. So we want to look at that in Acts chapter 2. But before we get to Acts chapter 2, let's start in Acts chapter 1. Because anybody knows that before there's a birth, 
There's a pregnancy. There's a waiting time. There's, there's that time before the birth when, when you're waiting and getting ready and preparing. And that's what we find here in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 1, the disciples have been following Jesus for over three years. They have listened to his incredible teaching. They have watched him perform miracles and healings. Blind eyes and deaf ears have been opened. People have been raised from the dead. They have saw him deliver people from demons. They've experienced miracles as 5,000 people plus were fed through, through little loaves and fish. They have seen it all. And, and, and they've also watched as the, as the crowds have grown over five years. The crowds have multiplied and thousands of people now follow Jesus. Everywhere he goes, just uh, not long before this, as he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they lined the streets. And it was like things were coming to a, a culmination. They were on a tipping point when something incredible was going to happen. And then everything began to unravel. Within a matter of days, Jesus was arrested, he was tried, and he was executed on a Roman cross. And in the aftermath of that, the disciples fled. One of them even said he didn't know Jesus. He denied knowing him three times. They abandoned him. They ran away. They were terrified. That was Friday, what we now call Good Friday. And then we know what happened. Death couldn't contain him. The grave couldn't hold him. Hell couldn't stop him. And on the third day, Jesus rose again from the grave. And for the next 40 days then, we're told that he taught his disciples about the kingdom of God. He was getting them ready for the time when he would leave. And after 40 days, he went back to heaven. He went back to the right hand of the Father where he still is today. But during these 40 days, he was teaching them and preparing them and getting them ready for when he left. And just before he ascends back to the Father, this is what he says to the disciples. Acts 1 verse 4. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, because that's where they were. But wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. Jesus is raised from the dead and the disciples are itching to get out there. They're dying to get out and tell people about the risen living Savior. But Jesus says, you will do it, but just hold on. Not just yet. Wait. Don't go. You think you're ready, but you're not quite ready yet. And you know, there's some times in life when we think we're ready. We think we're, 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 we're ready for the next challenge, the next phase of life. And sometimes God puts the brakes on and he says, wait, and that can be frustrating. But there's always a purpose in the waiting. There's always a preparation as we are patient and wait for God. So what are they waiting for? Well, Jesus says, wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Back just before he went to the cross in John 14 to 16, Jesus began to talk about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave another counselor. He will lead and guide you into all truth. Uh, I have been with you, but the Spirit will be in you. So he had already began to talk about the Holy Spirit with them. Look at verses 4 and 5. But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus says this. This is what you're waiting for. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. They had been baptized by John in the Jordan River. Three years before this, the crowds went down to the Jordan. Even Jesus was baptized and the Spirit descended on him as he began his ministry. So they had been baptized in water. And Jesus says, but there's another baptism. And that is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, we're a Church of Ireland congregation. I know some of you might be quite surprised by that. But I want to say this to you. That word baptized, nowhere in Scripture means sprinkled, okay? It doesn't mean taking a little bit of water and sprinkling it on anybody. The word baptize or baptizo in the Greek means to fully immerse. It was what uh, people who made clothes would do. They would take a garment and they would put it into a, a, a basin full of dye. And until that garment was fully submerged so the dye could get into every part and every thread and every fiber of it, that's what it meant to be baptized. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to sprinkle the Spirit on you. I'm going to pour out my Spirit. I'm going to submerge you in my Spirit. I'm going to completely cover you with my Holy Spirit. But he says, wait. He says, wait. How long? He didn't tell him, but he says, wait. And sometimes God will say to us, wait. And we don't know how long we have to wait for, whether it be a day, a week, a month, a year. But we need to trust God in the waiting because God is always working in the waiting. And look at what else Jesus says about the Holy Spirit then in Acts 1 verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says this. This is what you're waiting for. You're waiting for power to come down from heaven. The word for power there is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite or or dynamic. In other words, Jesus is saying you're waiting for a power from heaven which will blow you away, which will enable you to change the world. It will shatter, it will shake things, it will change things. The power that I'm going to send down on you makes everything different. That's what you're waiting for. And why is that power available? Is it available so that they can have a hyper-spiritual experience? So they can have the tingles and the shivers? So that they can have some sort of um, supernatural uh, thing that they can tell everybody about? No, look at what Jesus says. The power of the Holy Spirit will come and you will be my witnesses. The power of the Spirit doesn't come upon us just so that we can have some sort of supernatural experience. The power of God comes into our lives so that we can be people who go out and change the world. So that we can be people who go out and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that we can serve our communities. So that we can bring life wherever we go. That word for witnesses is actually the Greek word martus, from which we get the word martyr. So Jesus says, the power of the Spirit that I am giving you is so that you will be in a place where you're willing to die for me, where you will be willing to lay down your life for the gospel and go out there and serve the world effectively and boldly because it's a lost and broken world. So that was Acts chapter 1. Jesus promises the baptism, the immersion, submersion in the Holy Spirit. And he says, wait, 
Then let's get to Acts 2 in the first verse. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We're told it's the day of Pentecost. This is actually 10 days after Jesus had told them to wait. 10 days after he ascended back to the Father. Pentecost was a Jewish festival which took place uh, 50 days after Passover. It was one of the three main Jewish festivals. The three big public holidays, if you like. The three public holidays or the three festivals were this. Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles. And during these three festivals, it was expected that all Jewish men would go to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage and that they would worship God and that they would make an offering. If you remember at Passover, what did they do? They offered a lamb. Isn't that right? They offered a lamb as an atonement for sins. And the blood of the lamb, the priest took the lamb and and the blood of the lamb was meant to atone for sins. And it was at Passover on Good Friday that Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, died on the cross and he took our sin. So Jesus took the Passover Jewish festival and he infused it with new meaning. Pentecost, now 50 days later, is a festival which celebrated the beginning of the wheat harvest for Jews. It was the beginning of the wheat harvest. So everyone would come to Jerusalem and they would make an offering of two loaves of wheat bread to the priest. It was giving back a portion of the blessing that God had given to you. Just as when we give, when we tithe, what we're saying is, God, we're giving you the first fruits. We're giving you back a portion, 10% of what you have given to us. So Pentecost was a harvest festival. And again, just as Jesus has done with Passover, he's about to infuse Pentecost, the wheat festival, the harvest festival, with new meaning. Why? Because it will be the beginning of the harvest of people being brought into the kingdom of God. A harvest will begin on this day, which has continued for 2,000 years now, as thousands and millions of men, women, and children have become part of the kingdom of God. But it all began on that first Pentecost. And because it's Pentecost, Jerusalem is packed, it's jammers, It's like Belfast on the 12th of July or Dublin on St. Patrick's Day, obviously not in 2020, but every other year. The streets are thronged and filled with people. There's noise in the air. There's excitement in the air. And we read the disciples were all together in one place. There's 120 of them in the upper room worshiping and praying and waiting. Look at what we read in verse 2. Suddenly, suddenly, You see, you will wait sometimes and you will wonder why you're waiting and then God will do it suddenly. Some of you, that's going to happen to you. As I was studying and praying about this, I felt some of you have been waiting, waiting for breakthrough, waiting for change, maybe waiting for a husband or wife, waiting for healing. And now in the midst of this waiting, God is going to break in and he's going to do it suddenly. Our God is the God who asks us to wait, but he's also the God of the suddenlies. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit 
enable them. I want you to imagine the scene. You're gathered in church on a Sunday, normally, before lockdown. There's 120 of you. You're worshipping, you're praying, you're waiting. And then suddenly you hear this noise. And you think, is there a wind outside? Is there a storm? And it increases and it increases and it becomes, it sounds like a hurricane. It sounds like a tornado. It sounds like you're, you're sitting on a runway as a 747 lands. That's how noisy it was. And you go and the place begins to shake a little bit. And then tongues of fire come down. First of all, big uh, flames. And then it breaks up into what looks like little flames and begins to rest on people's head. I'd be worried my hair gel would go up in flames. But that's what they're witnessing. There's something happening. And what is happening is that the power that Jesus has promised is coming. Why? Because when Jesus makes a promise, he always keeps it. If Jesus has made you a promise, I want to say to you, he is going to keep it. And as the, as, the, as the wind comes and as the fire falls, you suddenly hear another language being spoken. It's one you don't recognize. And then you realize you're the one speaking the language. A language you've never learned. A language you've never studied. And everybody else in the room are speaking languages too. Some are speaking uh, Chinese, some are speaking German, some are speaking uh, Spanish. Everybody's speaking different languages and they're looking at each other in complete shock and awe because they know they've never learned these languages. What's going on? It's the birth of the church. It's the, it's the pouring out of the power. It's the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised it and now it's happening. And if there was no Holy Spirit, there would be no church. Somebody said a while ago that if the Holy Spirit had been removed from the early church, 90% of it would have fallen apart. If the Holy Spirit was removed from many churches today, 90% wouldn't even notice and they would keep on going. That's desperately sad. For For the early church, it was the Holy Spirit that birthed it, and the Holy Spirit that imparted, and the Holy Spirit who sustained it. You know, on the 1st of July this year, I'll have been a Christian for, for 30 years. On the 25th of June this year, I'll have been ordained for 14 years. And can I honestly say that as a Christian and as a, a minister, there is nothing more important in the Christian life than being filled with God's Holy Spirit. There is nothing that matters more than opening yourself up to God's Spirit and allowing him to fill you, allowing his Spirit to baptize you, allowing the Holy Spirit to immerse you continually and and constantly being filled and refreshed with the Holy Spirit. There's no substitute. Without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, you simply cannot live the Christian life. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot do the supernatural works that Jesus calls the church to do. We simply cannot be the men and women of God that Jesus wants us to be without his power and presence baptizing us, filling us, submerging us, immersing us. And here's the great news. 
the same Holy Spirit who was poured out 2,000 years ago on those first disciples on that birthday of the church is the same Holy Spirit who's available to you and I today. He's not some watered-down version, not some weaker, diluted version. He's the full-strength version of the Holy Spirit. We get him just as they got him back then. Trying to live the Christian life without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit will be lifeless, dull, boring, and passionless. It can't be done. It's actually just really hard work because without the power of the Spirit, it is your strength, it's your goodness, it's your ability, it's your effort, and that is just doesn't work. To live the life that God calls us to live, we need the power that God has made available to us. Bono, the singer of U2, once said this, religion is what you're left with when the Spirit has left the building. And we know sadly all too much about religion in this land. Religion where it's all about effort, it's all about rules, it's all about striving, it's all about being good living, we call it. It's all about keeping up appearances. That is not what Jesus is about. That is not what the church is about. That is not what we're about. We're about being a spirit-filled people who live a life of love and service and compassion and conviction and boldness in a lost and desperate world. There's a story about a guy called John Wimber. John Wimber was the founder of the, the Vineyard Church uh, back in the, in the 70s. And, and John Wimber actually had been a member of the band called the Righteous Brothers. Some of you will have heard of them or you've heard of their song, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. That was the Righteous Brothers. He was the keyboardist and, 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 and backing vocalist. And so he had lived quite a, a partying lifestyle. And, uh, and he began to read the Bible and became a Christian. Then he began to go to church. And week after week, he would sit through church, a bit bored, a bit dissatisfied. And after about a month or so, he went up to the church leader and he said, when do we get to do this stuff? And the church leader looked at him a wee bit confused and said, well, what stuff? He said, the stuff in the Bible. I've been reading the New Testament, the miracles, the healings, all of the stuff there. When do we get to do this stuff? And the church leader looked at him and said, actually, we don't do that anymore. And John Wimber was confused and said, well, what do we do? He says, well, we do what, what we're doing today. And John Wimber turned to him and said, you mean I gave up drugs for this? Thankfully, it wasn't long after that before John had his own encounter where he was filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he went on to have an impact on tens of thousands of churches and leaders across the globe. Some of you will say, well, I received the Holy Spirit when I, I was born again. I received the Holy Spirit when I was converted. And I would say, you're absolutely right, you did. You did receive the Holy Spirit when you were converted. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them. The Bible says you can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So I will totally agree with you there. But there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit in you and being filled and baptized and immersed in the Spirit. The difference is this. The difference is like having a drink or being in a swimming pool. When you have a drink of water, the water is in you. When you jump into the deep end of the pool, 
you're in the water. And God wants us to be a people who are willing to be submerged and immersed in his power and in his presence. We need a fresh filling and a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. You know, we've got some great Elam churches in the area, and they're called Elam Pentecostal churches. Can I say to you, Pentecostal is not a denomination. Every Christian is Pentecostal. Every church should be a Pentecostal church because we're a church that was born out of Pentecost. We're a Spirit-filled church. And what's the result of them being filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's look at Acts 2, 5 to 13. I don't have a lot of time to say much about it, but what was the result? Look at verse 5. It says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, that's the wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment, and the sound was also them speaking in other tongues and other languages. This crowd comes together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they stated, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears each of us hears them in our own native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So the Holy Spirit is poured out. The 120 then are propelled out into the streets, into the marketplace, into the festival. And as they go out speaking these new languages, these new tongues that they hadn't learned, it causes quite a stir. The whole commotion begins to draw a crowd. Look at the response of the crowd. They were bewildered. They were utterly amazed. They were amazed and perplexed. Some made fun of them and said, you're, you're, you're drunk. They, they thought they were sozzled. They were intoxicated, but not with alcohol. They were intoxicated with a completely different spirit, the spirit of God. At least they got a reaction. At least they had an impact. At least people noticed. Most of the church today wouldn't even get noticed. Most Christians today and most of the church today, people are indifferent towards us because we're so passionless, we're so powerless, we're so passive, we blend in so easily with the world, we're so nice, we're so politically correct, we're so wishy-washy and weak and anemic that why would anybody even get upset with us? I would rather be a, I'd rather be criticized and accused wrongly like, like these guys are than not be noticed at all. At least you're making an impact. I'd rather have a church that stands up for righteousness and is persecuted than not even be noticed at all. I'd rather be disliked for sharing my faith than liked because I simply echo what the culture says. I'd rather be laughed at for being over the top than not tell anybody even that I'm a Christian. They made an impact. When the Spirit comes, it changes you, and people notice. It does something. 
And look at what we see here. One other thing just in this verse. It said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Everybody heard God in their own language. Do you know what I take from that? God speaks your language. God speaks your language. There were people from all over the then known world in Jerusalem that day. And God wanted to reach every single one of them with his love. So what does God do? He gives people their language. He gives people the ability to supernaturally speak the language of the crowd. God wants to speak your language. He wants to communicate his heart and his love to you. He wants to to unlock your heart and he knows what the key is to do that. He wants to draw close to you and he will do whatever it takes to reach you. God speaks your language, whatever that is. And for some of you, he's speaking to you right now. He's speaking your language. He's saying, will you come to me? Will you turn to me? Will you turn away from that? And as a church, we have got to speak the people's language. Not that we become like the world, but that we, we repackage the gospel for a new generation. The message never changes, but the method must. And sadly, some churches are on the cutting edge of the 18th century. Some of them have got stuck in the 60s or the 80s. God wants us to be a people who take the unchanging gospel into a changing world and communicate it in a way that people can understand. God speaks people's language. Finally for today, let's look at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. This is the first sermon. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, in Lurgan, which is close to here, that wouldn't be unusual at nine o'clock in the morning. But I'll keep going. Fellow Israelites, verse 22. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. In other words, the death of Jesus was no accident. It was the plan of God and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses. Remember, that's what they were called to be, witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out now what you see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. This is the very first sermon ever preached by the church. A crowd has gathered. Everybody's wondering what's going on. Everybody hears people speaking in their own language. They're confounded, they're amazed, they're perplexed. They don't know what's happening. And Peter gets up and he says, I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to help you understand right now what's happening. 
Just a few things I think are important for us to see here. The first thing I want you to see is Peter's boldness. This is the same Peter who just 50 days before this, on Passover, on what we call Good Friday, was so scared, was so timid, was so afraid, was so intimidated when Jesus was arrested that he said, I don't even know that man. It says with oaths and curses, he denied knowing Jesus. Even to a a little young girl, he was so afraid of being identified with Jesus because he was scared that what was happening to Jesus was going to happen to him. But look at him now. He stands up in the middle of the city of Jerusalem in front of some of the same people who crucified Jesus and he's filled with boldness and he's filled with courage and he's filled with authority as he begins to preach about the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, he's quite confrontational. He says, you put the Messiah to death. He confronts them with what they have done. He's boldly preaching the gospel of Jesus without fear and without inhibition. What has happened to fearful, timid, denying, scared Peter? You know, recently, well, recently in the last few years, we moved back to to the town where I grew up after 25 years. I moved away when I was 18 and when I was 42, 43, I, I moved back here. And it's been interesting seeing some people You know, when you see people after a long time who you went to school with, everybody has changed. But sometimes you're quite shocked by the change. Maybe at school they, let's be honest, maybe at school they weren't that attractive. And you meet them 25 years later and you go, goodness me, you really have turned out well. Well done. Sometimes it's the other way around. But... uh, but, but you're like, wow, you've changed, you've transformed. Maybe they were real skinny at school and they're muscular now. Maybe they, you just didn't notice them at school and they're stunning now. Uh, for some people, uh, maybe, maybe that uh, they were quiet at school, they were introverts, they were, you wouldn't even have noticed them and now they're extroverts, they're the life and soul of the party. They're charismatic and you're thinking, what has happened to you? What has caused this radical transformation? Well, for Peter here, he has been totally transformed from passive, petrified Peter into this bold, brazen believer who's willing to stand up and be counted for Jesus. What has happened? Do you want to know what has happened? He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's been filled with the power of God. The dunamis, the dynamite power of God has filled and baptized Peter and that has propelled him to go out and preach the good news of Jesus. He says, you crucified him. He says, you put him to death. And, and, and he, he, he confronts him with the gospel of, of, of the kingdom. And, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it really hard to share the gospel. I find it really hard to to tell people about Jesus. And I'm a minister. I mean, this you know, I get paid to do this. And sometimes, honestly, I find myself lacking courage a little bit. And in those moments, I know I need to depend on the Holy Spirit. 
I need a fresh filling of the Spirit. I need to say, Holy Spirit, give me the words to say here. Give me the courage to stand up and speak up. And if you pray that, he will do it. And Peter preaches this message. And the message is all about Jesus. It's completely focused on the life death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter doesn't preach about morality. He doesn't preach about politics. He doesn't preach about religion or behavior modification or psychology or prosperity or social issues or human ideas or philosophy. He doesn't even preach about the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues. His sermon, his message, it's a gospel all about a man called Jesus, the Son of God who left heaven came to earth, lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, died on the cross the death that you and I should have died, rose from the grave, conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell, ascended to the Father where he rules and reigns in power and authority, and one day he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. That is the gospel that Peter preaches. It's all about Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus We have no right to preach any other gospel except Jesus, the Son of God who saved us through his life, death, and resurrection. It's the only gospel that works. The church tries other things. They try gimmicks. They try entertainment. They they, they try tricks. They think if we can just do these fancy things or get the right sort of lighting or the right sort of amusement, uh, music or the right sort of amusement, then people will come in. The only thing that changes the heart of men and women and children is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter preaches. And look at the result. Look at verses 37 to 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, Brother, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God call and that includes you and me with many other words it says he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accepted his message were baptized and about three thousand were added to the church that day that's a good birthday right there on the birth of the church it grew from 120 people to 3,120 people. Do you know the gospel works? It changes hearts. It changes lives. It heals broken hearts. It restores broken lives. It it renews broken relationships. It turns your life upside down, but in reality, it's actually turning it right side up. And we need a renewed confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It worked 2,000 years ago and the gospel of Jesus Christ still works today. When the gospel is preached in the power of the Spirit, it will bring men and women and children to the cross of Christ, to the feet of Jesus, and they will, be, they will repent 
and they will be baptized in his spirit and they will be sent out into the world to make a difference for the kingdom of God. There's no other gospel. There's no other message. There's nothing else we preach except Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised to life. That's why the apostle Paul in Romans said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Do we still believe that? Do you still believe that the gospel has the power to change lives? 30 years ago, it changed my life. Many of you will have your own story. But maybe today you need a fresh filling of the Spirit. Maybe you need a renewed confidence in the gospel. You know, I could tell many stories of lives I've seen changed by the gospel. I've got different ones written down here. You know, I'm going to tell you about a a friend of mine called Alan. I met Alan five years ago. One Sunday morning, I was running late for church. And I normally got the bus to church, and then Becky and Elijah would follow me later on. We only lived about a mile and a half, two miles from the church down the road in in inner city Dublin. And so I was running late. There were no buses. And so I, I flagged the first taxi down that came along, and I said, will you take me down to St. Catherine's? And the driver said, no problem. And he said, what goes on in there? Because there was a taxi rank outside the church. He says, I see people coming in and out there all the time. What goes on? And I said to him, well, why don't you come next Sunday and find out? (laughs) Do you know what he did? He came next Sunday. It's hard to believe when you invite sometimes people to church, they'll actually come. He came along the next Sunday. And after the service, he said to me, can I meet you during the week? And on the Wednesday, I met him. And we, we met in my office and I shared the gospel with him. I shared what Christ had done. I, I opened the Bible to him, and he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. But he told me about his life. He was a guy who was probably about 50. He had been a successful businessman, but drugs had taken a hold of him. He had spent uh, thousands of euros, even just in the last month, on cocaine. And I had two questions for him. One, when he told me how much he had spent on cocaine, was, how are you still alive? And the second one was, were you on cocaine when you were driving the taxi that day? And he said, I probably was. And he was back living with his mama, a lovely wee inner city Dublin woman. And, and, but she was about to throw him out of the house because she was just sick of his addiction, of his behavior. But that day as he received Christ and I gave him a Bible and I gave him daily reading notes, something shifted in his life. He went home and he didn't say anything to his mummy. But about two days later on the Friday, she turned to him and she said, Alan, what's happened to you? You're a different man. And he said, I went to that church last Sunday and I went back to see the minister. And I don't know what has happened, but God has come into my life. And she said, I'm going this Sunday to figure out what's going on. And that Sunday, she came along with him. And at the end, I asked people, did they want to respond to the gospel and become Christians? And and her hand shot up in the air. Hers was the first hand to go up. And that day, she gave her life to Christ. That was five years ago. About six months ago, one Sunday morning, Alan and his mum appeared in church here in Craigavon. They'd driven up the night before, stayed in a hotel in Bambridge, and come along to our service here in Hope. Five years later, that was. And he came along and he said, Craig, I just want to, to let you know that I'm still following Christ. I've been baptized and I'm still following Jesus because he changed my life. And I want to say to you that the gospel changes lives. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit 
so that we can become men and women who go into a needy, desperate, broken world with the gospel and the good news of Christ that we would be as hands and feet serving those who need him in the power of his spirit. So would you pray with me now? Would you simply pray with me that God would fill us, fill you, fill me, baptize us with his Holy Spirit? You know, when we become Christians, we receive it by faith. We don't always feel anything, but we receive it by faith. And it's exactly the same. When we ask God to fill us with his spirit, we might not feel anything, but we receive it by faith. So would you simply, if you're comfortable to do that wherever you are, maybe you'll do it during the week, maybe later today, would you simply open out your hands as a posture of receiving and surrender and say this, Father God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. Would you please fill me with your spirit? Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I need you so desperately. Come and immerse me in your presence and your power. Holy Spirit, I surrender myself to you. And from this day forward, I live for Jesus Christ. I'm going to be his witness wherever I go. And I'm going to share the gospel whenever I can. Thank you, God, for filling me with your spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to close our service with a song that simply says this. Would you meet me here again? It's asking God that wherever we are, in whatever condition we're in, that he would come and meet with us, that he would come and renew us, refresh us, and fill us with his presence and power.